Good morning. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Chaf Dalit in Maseches Nazir. Uh, let's do this before Shlema, a complete refuah. Baruch Hashem, we have a partial refuah. She seems like she's doing better. Panina Rachel Bas Tzviya Batya. And Bezat Hashem, for Shlema. Also, all the, all the people that we have in mind. But we're behind. So, 17 lines up on the bottom on Chaf Gimel Mabez. The two dots we were talking about. Now, Barry, don't try this at home. Doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. You know, how do we know that's the right reasons? It was interesting. I didn't bring it up yesterday, but I contemplated it. We, those who do the right thing, remember um, Yael and Sisra, right? She was lauded for her behavior. Now, she certainly did the right thing for, in, you know, as, as she is lauded. Shiraz Devora talks about, right, how Devora Hanavia is is applauding uh, Yael for her behavior. In fact, without these Nashim Tzidkanias, we wouldn't have gotten through. Um, they were the Shlichim for our salvation at that moment. Uh, and she's thus compared to the, those who are the inhabitants of the Ohel, the, other, in other words, the Imos, right? Our Sarif Karach Now I was thinking, well, one of the parallels is the Imos didn't have the Torah, mind you. Of course, we're not going to get into that sugya of how is it that the Avos and the Imos kept the Torah, which is a whole sheer in itself, but technically the Torah was not yet given, and so they were going according, right, so you could, one might say that they were going based on this uh, moral intuition. And they had some nevuah, obviously, and some knowledge of the Torah, but the point I'm making is Hashem knows when you have full sincerity, and so intentions really matter, and that was the topic that we started with yesterday. But now we're saying... Gufa, what is about this idea of doing something without intention? Is that not, is doing a mitzvah, I should say, without intention, is that not a great thing? Because after all, don't we learn? As the Gemara says, Gufa, Amar, even without intention, you should do Torah mitzvahs. Why? As we famously know, once you do it, you will come to do it, you will habitually continue to do Torah mitzvahs, and you'll start to eventually infuse that with intention. And the example that they give is a fascinating example. Balakarasha wasn't really doing Torah mitzvahs. He's not even Mitzuyev in Torah mitzvahs. But be that as it may, he brought 42 carbonates. So we see, Andrew, this is like a pre, right? This is like a, um, this is not Torah mitzvahs the way we know them, know them today, right? This is more Torah mitzvahs in terms of intention of serving Hashem. But be that as it may, he merited something for that. What? Rus. Rus, came from Balak. Rus bas eglon melech how so? Because don't forget, Moaviyah is because she's from Moav. Now, Eglon was the grandson of Balak. Okay, so, so that, that shows you because we know that Rus was the descendant of Eglon. And Eglon was the grandson of Balak. Put it all together, Rus came out of Balak. Now, it happens to be Rus was not really the literal Bat. No, she wasn't the actual granddaughter, as Tosus points out, but she was a descendant of Eglon nonetheless. And therefore, uh, if you go through, it follows that Rus came out of Balak, amazingly. I don't know if you knew that. Okay. Now, let's go back to Lot and his daughters, right? So we will now see, as we get to the, eventually finish this off this topic to the Mishnah, uh, we mentioned yesterday, right, Lot and his daughters 
as the contrast of doing the right thing for the wrong reasons or the wrong thing for the right reasons, as it were. Um, and so, Amar Rabchia Baraba Amar Biochanan, Minayin Shen Akarish Baruchu Mekapeach Afiluschar Sicha Na. How do we know that Hashem will give you a reward for every little thing you do, including, right, that's what the Mekapeach, including having the opportunity to say something in a certain way and taking. Uh, the, making the choice to say that in the more refined way, even that little bit of intention of doing, you know, something more refined is does not go unnoticed. Obviously, and a kaddish baruch will, in fact, give you schar for that. Where do we see that? Uh, again, Lot and his daughters. How so? Well, the older of Lot's daughters actually called her son uh, from daddy. That's uh, unrefined. Okay. Because that definitely recalls right how the son was born, which is not a which was not a right normal relation. Amalei Rachmana, so Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, "Al tatzar es moav, al tiskar ba milchama." So wait a minute. Hashem says to Moshe, "Don't harass Moav and don't engage him in in, in milchama." So that sounds actually like she got schar. Again, what we're trying to show is that the older daughter did not give her son a very refined name. The very name of her, of her child was reminiscent of her union with her father, which was not a refined thing. So why then did Hashem tell Moshe Rabbeinu not to harass Moab? Right, this is straight out of the Torah. So the answer is that um, this Pasuk, in fact, equates uh, harassing Moab with, with actually fighting them in a war. And that's what the Gemara continues to explain. Yeah, don't fight a war with them. Yeah, but you can har- harass them somewhat, in other words. In that particular Pasuk, because we'll see the contrast with Ammon in a second, but in that particular Pasuk, we're saying that we're equating harassing the nation of Moab with actual warfare. Okay, but to be Mitzayar of them, whatever that would mean, is actually allowed. However, the younger daughter says the Gemara of Ilutsa'ira decrease Ben Ami, right? The Ben Ami was the son of the younger of Lot's daughters, and therefore Ben Ami is more general and does not allude to the union with her father, and therefore it is a more refined name. And therefore, as we will see, her, the nation that came out of her, was actually treated even better. How so? Amarlay, so to that, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Al Titsurem Be'al Tisgarbam. There you go. So there, it does not say don't engage them in warfare because it's assumed, Barry, that you're not going to engage them in warfare, but rather, on top of that, you should not harass them at all, right? Don't harass them at all. As the Gemara continues and says, Don't afflict them at all. And so what we're trying to point out here, according to Rabbi Yochanan, is that the difference, just that little difference in terms of choosing the name of the child and having a more refined name, has a Ripple effect for generations, Andrew. Ripple effect for generations in terms of how Hashem tells us to treat the nations that followed. Wow. Okay, so we're learning a lot of lessons from Lot and his daughters. Let's learn another one. You should be, you should treat a dvar mitzvah with alacrity. You should run to do a mitzvah. So here we see an ironic thing as we arrive at the ironic thing is that we just 
spent time praising the younger daughter of Lot for giving her son a more refined name, Ben-Ami. But now we're praising the older daughter of Lot for what? For, prece- for having the idea of having these children all together. We're saying that that was in fact at least a good intention. She thought there was Armageddon and that the whole world was coming in end. So based on that misimpression, she actually did the right thing. And her alacrity, her jumping in with this idea of being with their father and recreating was actually a good thing. And she's rewarded. It's a source of the idea that when given an opportunity, everybody's trying to think who's going to jump into this Yamsuf. Being the first to jump in is actually a good thing. Now, to use the daughters of Lot as the example of that is quite remarkable, obviously, right? But it highlights the fact of how much the intention matters, even when technically, right, obviously one would look at it and think that this is not a good thing. Be that as it may, what was the reward of the older daughter for jumping in and uh, sleeping with her father? It says the top line in Chavtal Ramadal, right, the older daughter, right, she had, she proceeded, Kadma Arbadaris. She proceeded to sort of plug into the Davidic dynasty four generations before her, uh, her sister. And so there's a real Mida connected Mida there, right? Call me Dosef Shal Kadesh Baruchu, Mida connected Mida. Kadesh Baruchu obviously is looking at, sees every nuance. And as such, um, everything, sometimes we are Zoha to see how everything is perfectly parallel. And so in this particular case, the older daughter jumped in and did with the proper intentions uh, in the beginning. And therefore, because she preceded the younger sister, right, the, the, her, her plugging into the schus of her plugging into the Davidic dynasty preceded her younger sister as well. What's the four generations? Well, you have Oved, Yishai, David, and Shlomo. They were descendant straight up from the older daughter. Uh, whereas the younger sister only came in through Rechavam, uh, who is the, who is the, uh, the son of Shlomo. Okay, so that, that's, how, that's how that works. Uh, what's the idea of Ovid, Yishai, Dovid, and Shlomo? Well, you look at, you look at Rus, right? That's, that's who came from Rus Hamoaviyah. Once she, as a Moabite, came in to, to the picture, right, that's how, that's how, you, uh, that's how you see that, they, um, that the older, the Moaviyah, entered in whereas the Ammoniah came in through Rechavam four generations later. Okay, so a fascinating thing. But again, you see, just again, the, the Goranowitz Musser moment. The older sister was, came in with more alacrity. That's a good thing. But she may have been overly exuberant, Barry, because then she named her son after that action. The, keep it on the down low, okay? You don't have to. Uh, so her intentions were good, uh, but, then, um, but then publicizing it was less refined, right? So... Everything has elements of, not everything's black and white, right? Everything has elements of, um, of things. Sometimes you have internally uh, mixed in to one's actions are good aspects, bad aspects, and so we're trying to learn all the most we can from it. Fine. Mishnah Tapach of Dalai Ramadal as follows. Okay, we know that, that, that uh, Nazir, we said in the very beginning of the Masechta, there are aspects that belong to Karbanos. This fascinating Mishnah here on Tapach of Dalai Ramadal discusses uh, what goes on with the carbonos of the Nazir? We said it, it belongs in Kachim in some ways, and now we're going to get a little bit into it. Okay. So, says the Gemara. This is a fascinating thing. The woman is 
is making this, this is a follow-up to, to yesterday's Mishnah, where the woman makes a neder, and then her husband's may fear her neder. So, so then we talked about what happens if she violates the neder. That was yesterday's Mishnah. And, right, and, and retroactively, what do we do with that? But now we're asking a more pragmatic question, Andrew. Right? You're the pragmatist here. You know, once you make a neder, you actually have to, at the, once you're a nazir, at the end, as we've discussed, there is a graduation process where you bring karbanos. Okay? Now, when one brings karbanos, you take regular animals, which are chulin, right? And you have to offer, and you have to offer those animals. Before you offer those animals, you makdish them, right? You consecrate those animals. Okay. So, once you makdish them, then they are designated for karbanos, and we have to see how we're going to handle it. Every nazir or female nazir, by the way, Barry, I asked your question around town. Why did our previous Mishnah only talk about the wine and the Tumas Mace and not talk about the hair in the case of the woman? Is there a difference between the Zeros of a woman or a man? I asked a bunch of guys in where we learned in the morning and they were stumped. And then I asked Rabbi Gross and I said, this is embarrassing because this is probably a really straightforward answer. And he was uh, stumped. He said, I'll get back to you. So Barry, you've turned over the uh, entire Baltimore Torah world here. Uh, but we'll get back to you. Okay, but be that as it may, this woman makes a nether and she was mafrish the karbonus, which is to say she's getting ready for that graduation ceremony, be it 30 days later, or this could be that the hafara, mind you, the husband, in order to be mafrish the naziris, has until uh, the, the graduation to be mafrish the naziris, it turns out. Okay. Whatever the case may be, let's keep it simple. The woman was mafrish the karbonus, Already, and then the husband was Mayfair the Nether successfully. Oh. So now this is a Kutchum issue, right? Because you have animals that were set aside for, for being brought as a carbon, and, and yet they're not needed because the graduation is never going to happen, Andrew. She dropped out. Her husband pulled her out of, out of the Naziris. So what are you doing with these animals? Okay, so on the basic surface, let's just review. This is straight up in the Torah, so Barry knows it as a Balkore. The Nazir or the Nazirah, okay, is going to bring a Korban, a Korban Shlamim, right? And she's going to bring a Korban Chatas, right? And she's going to bring a Korban Ola. Now, the Korban Shlamim and the Korban Ola, those are voluntary under normal circumstances. In other words, in non-Nazir circumstances, those are voluntary um, Korbanas, What's more important, uh, relevant for us, I should say, is that you can volunteer a Korban Shlomim and a Korban Ola, right? You can walk in and say, I'd like to bring a Korban Shlomim and a Korban Ola because, in other words, in the case of Nazirus, once you're graduating, so then it's compulsory, of course. But it happens to be that if you get pulled out of your Nazirus and you don't have the graduation ceremony, you could still bring the animal as a voluntary. So that's okay. In other words, once the animal's been designated, Right, so then you can say, okay, you know what? We don't know what to do with this animal. I'll bring it as an adava instead of the compulsory graduation ceremony. That is true of the ola and the shlamim, but the chatas is a problem because the chatas you can only bring right as a as a repentance, right? Um, well, that's a problem because the repentance has to tie back to the person who did the so to speak avera. Huh. Once that person didn't do the aver anymore, you cannot bring that carbon chata. So now let's read the Mishnah with that background in mind. So she was Nadra Benazir, Vachaka Hefer Labala. So now she's no longer in 
they're, they're going to have this graduation ceremony with these karbanas. Says the Gemara, it says the Mishnah rather, Im behema. Fascinating idea. If the animals were his, the animal goes back. means it goes back to the flock, which is another way to say it does not become hektish. Because it was never hers, Andrew. Again, the Mishnah uses the Lashon HaBehema in the singular, but it really is referring to all three animals. Right? The, the Ola, the Chatas, and the Shlamim. So if all the animals belonged to the husband. So again, what happened? The woman designates the animals, but she's really just earmarking, so to speak, those three different animals. And we'll see what kind of animals they are. We'll, there'll be enough time to study that in depth. But, and it says it in the Torah, Beferish, so it's not so, so esoteric. But be that as it may, she's earmarking these animals. And, but really they're in, right, they're in the cattle. They're, they belong to the husband, to her husband. And after all, we're going to get into this in the Gemara. The husband really owns all of this stuff, right? Because Mashakana Isha Kanabaila, right? Her, her belongings are really his belongings. We're going to get into that. That's really going to be our topic here in the Gemara. But be that as it may, she designated the animals. And if the animals belong to the husband, so then once everything gets canceled, so the husband just puts them back in the flock. They, they're not, they didn't really become hektish. So you could say, wait a minute, but she designated them as hektish. That's true, but you can't designate something as hektish which is not yours. That's the point in the Mishnah. In other words, it's not really hers. It's her husband. Okay, so in her mind, she set them aside. But that's not hektish, hektish. Okay, so that's the, that's the important point here, that she's designated it, but that designation didn't really mean anything. When does the designation start to mean something? When she's, bring, when she's finished with her Naziris, and now she has to go and bring the Karbanas, so then at that point, once you bring the animals up, that's hectic. But at this point, her designation didn't mean anything because the animals belonged to her husband, and therefore it's never hectic in the first place, and that is why it goes back to the flock, never got hectic status, good. However, okay, but let's say the animals were hers. The Gemara is going to ask, how could the animals be hers? They could. After all, maybe somebody gave her the animals, as the Gemara says, right, and said, on the condition that this does not belong to your husband. Or maybe she's one of these independent women, Andrew, who says, you know what, I don't need your money. I got my own job over here in a Fortune 500 company, and I'm going to have my own bank account, and those animals. So the animals are hers. Her hectic is meaningful. Okay, so now we got an issue. Right? So if the hektish is meaningful, so now you have an issue. Right? So that's what we learned. That the chatas, as we just explained, has to be left to die. That's what we learned in Tamura. Right? Uh, in the context of uh, somebody who, right, in the context of, let's say, Tamura, as we mentioned many times, is when you lose the animal, then you bring another animal in its stead. Then the old animal that you lost starts, uh, right, sauntering in. Well, now that animal can't be brought as a chatas anymore, right? So you have to leave it to die, right? So that's what you have to do with the chatas, whereas the ola, tikkar of ola and shlamim, tikkar of shlamim. So as we described, the ola, you could still bring as an ola and a shlamim, and as we explained, that's because those are voluntary, and therefore, those animals, because they're hers, the, the, the hektish really worked, and they are uh, designated as such, but you just bring it as an adava instead, and that's fine, right? Even though you don't have to bring the karbanas of a nazir anymore because the naziris was undone, you can still bring those karbanas. And then, however, there are some modifications to the ola. Because whereas typically an ola and a shlamim of a nazir has to be, uh, they can be eaten for two days, and they're brought with 20 loaves of, well, 20 types of carbs, right? Like 10 challahs and 10 crackers, 
and of course, Herring Andrew goes without saying. But you know, be, whereas that is the typical graduation ceremony of the chalos and the crackers and all that of the nazir, here obviously there's going to be no graduation ceremony, so there's no nazir. So in this case, right? That the shlamim, in this case, it's referring to can, will, can, will, can only be eaten one for one day. I'm sorry. Typically, a shlamim can be eaten for two days. In the case of a nazir, it can only be eaten for one day. Okay? That is what is unusual. And typically, the shlamim doesn't have the bread, the bread, but here, it does not require the bread. So, just to review, this shlamim that you're going to bring, right, um, when the nazirus was terminated, is going to be similar to the shlamim of a nazir in some ways, and dissimilar in other ways, this is really we're going to see Allah Mashimi Sinai. But again, it's going to be similar in the sense that you only have one day to eat it, as opposed to a typical shlamim which has two. And it's going to be dissimilar in the sense that normally the shlamim of a nazir, you have to bring all the breads. And so again, a graduation ceremony doesn't go over two days. It's only one day, if you want to remember it that way. Uh, so it's only one day of graduation, and you have all the suuda associated with it. Um, and it and so it takes on this idea of the one day, but you do not have the breads. So, and what, why is it in, like a Nazir in some ways and not like a Nazir in others? We will see. Fine. Now we're going to do the same halacha, but with regards to money. With regards to money, uh, letting an animal to leave die, the parallel would be to just throw the, the money into Yama Melach, so, right, so to speak, which, is, which means it's going to never be used again. Let the, um, the corrosive effects of the Yamamelech disintegrate those coins as follows. Says the, the Mishnah, So again, if she had funds, what does it mean, stumim? Well, again, it's, it, the, this is where we get into the idea of specified or unspecified. So if she had just a pile of money, she said, I'm going to use all this pile of money. That's what stumim means. I'm going to use this pile of money for all the karbonists, for the three karbonists they have to bring, right? The shlomim, the ol, and the chatas. So yiplun and the dava. So this is a halacha l'moshem Sinai. The Gemara tomorrow is going to ask, wait a minute, don't you have demei chatas in there, in that pile of money? Right? So again, what's the issue? The issue is if you designated something for shlamim and an ola, if you designated money as such, so you could always give it as an adava. You could always buy shlamim and ola with it. But if you designated money for a chatas, and then you don't have to bring the carbon chatas, so technically... Right, that money should be designated for carbon chatas and it's now attached. The chiddush, halacha l'moshem yisina, as we'll see, is that when those demei chatas are mixed in with the ola and the shlamim, that in fact that entire pile is going to do what? Yiplun nedava. Can be given for, for va, va, all kinds of nedava korbanos. However, most mifarashim, if she says, okay, this money is going to go for the shlamim, this one for the ola, and this one for the chatas, so then the, the demei chatas yelchul yamamelach. Right, those demei chatas are now designated specifically for the chatas, and then you have to throw them out into the corrosive yamamelach, which is the equivalent of letting an animal die. Right, so that's the money equivalent of that. Lo nehenin behem. Fascinatingly, what's going on? You cannot have any hana from that money because again, it's designated for chatas. But if you misused it, you also won't be over meila. Right, meila is the prohibition of reappropriating something which is hectic for something else, you're not allowed to do that. But why wouldn't you be over Me'ila? After all, this is designated for, for the Chatas and you can't have enough from it. The answer is because Mida or Raisa, there's not going to be any Me'ila on anything that's not connected to an actual Korban. Wow. So again, right? This Korban Chatas, 
this money was designated for carbon chatas. Okay, so the money at that point, typically, if it was attached to a real carbon chatas, would in fact be considered hektesh and would be subject to the prohibition of misappropriating with me'ila. However, there is no hektesh. There is no chatas. And so now the money was designated for something that doesn't exist. And because it is attached to something that it does not exist as a korban, that money is not considered to be subject to me'ila. However, the Rabbanon, this is how the Mepharshim explain it, put on a prohibition of hana. Okay, so me'ila, midorai, so you're not going to get. But you shouldn't have enough from that money, and that's why you have to throw it into Yamamelach, because we're putting a Darbanan prohibition because it had been connected and designated for the Chatas. That's what's going on. Fine. Now, the Demei Ola, just like we did with the Karbanas, Demei Ola, Yaviu, Ola, Mo'alan, Be'em. Right, so Demei Ola, you can bring an Ola, and that's going to have, so therefore that money, so there's an ironic thing, right? Because of the fact that you could still use it, so then it will be subject to Me'ila, because you just bring it as an Adavan. Similarly, Demei Shlomim, Yaviu, Shlomim. And the shlamim we can be brought So just like we said before, when it comes to the carbon shlamim that you bring, the carbon shlamim was the one that you eat, right? The ola obviously you don't eat, and you don't eat a carbon ola. That's all la Hashem. That gets completely consumed by the mizbeach. But the shlamim is the party, right? That's the one that then the dava that we're going to enjoy and we're going to eat. We're going to see which parts we do and we don't eat. But be that as it may, the shlamim you bring. And you only have one day to eat it, just like you normally would with a Nazir, but but unlike the a full Nazir graduation, you're not gonna have the carb, uh the, the bread and the crackers that go with it. So just like we said by the the animals. Okay. So now the Gemara says, Mantana Mishtabidla. Wait a minute. Who's the town of our Mishnah? Who which seems to imply that a husband is not Mishubit to to provide the woman with sacrifices? Wait, why is our Tana seem to imply that. So the answer is like this. Don't forget. Our mission said that if the animals belong, let's go back to the beginning. Our mission said that if the, if the animals belong to the husband, so they're not really the wife. So when she's makdashet, it's not a real hekdash. Well, if the husband is in fact truly mishubed to all the karbanas of his wife, then really as soon as she designates it, they really are hers. Well, our mission implies that they go back to the flock and they're not hers. So it seems to be that our mission is reflective of the position that any type of carbonus that a woman wants to bring, a wife wants to bring, actually do belong to her. So Amar of Chista, Rabbanon he. Our mission is consistent with the Rabbanon, who have a machlokus with Rabbi Yehuda as follows. Because after all, if you have like Rabbi Yehuda, then any time a woman wants to bring carbonus, those animals actually, uh, a wife wants to bring carbonus, those animals belong to her. Why would the carbonus, after all, go back to the flock? After all, the husband is mishtabed, right? He is obligated completely to give her any carbon she wants. It's part of the marital contract, Barry. And therefore, as soon as she wants it, it's hers. Let's see that in the Bryce. It says the Gemara, the Tanya, Yehuda Aymer as follows. Ada mevi korban asher al ishto. There you go. You have a wealthy dude, right? Fascinatingly, the Rush explains what's going on here. The dude is wealthy. The wife, Andrew, by definition, is never wealthy. Why? Because Masha kana isha kana baila. It's not that she came from a poor family and he came from a rich family, no. What it means is that in every marriage, according to Rabbi Yehuda, the wife is by definition dirt poor because she is, owns nothing. Okay, so she has the definition of an ani. And therefore, would you say, therefore, that when the husband brings a korban on behalf of his wife, don't forget, there's certain korbanas where, like, if you're really rich, you'll bring a giant ox, right? And if you're poor, you'll bring a bird, so to speak, right? And so, does that mean that anytime a husband 
no matter how wealthy he is, brings a carbon on behalf of his wife, it's always going to be a bird because she's always considered penniless by virtue of the financial right arrangement of their relationship, says the Rabbi Huda, of course not, right? If, if they're a wealthy couple, then he's going to have to bring a wealthy carbon, okay? Similarly, any carbonus that she is chayev, he has to supply her with all those carbonus, which is to say that she kind of owns those carbonus. Shekach kasavla, because after all, that's what it says in the Ksuba. Kol islich alai min kadmas Right? My, my property, all, all the achrayas that I have. Now, our Ksubas don't say this. Uh, last night we went over Kibudim. Sounds like Rabbi Hopfer will be reading the Ksuba. This is all happening in like less than two weeks. Uh, actually, almost just a, uh, a week from Sunday. So, Rabbi Hopfer will not read this part because we don't have it in our Ksuba. We don't have the Pidyon Shvurim in the Ksuba either. We learn Ksubas, so we're used to those ideas and they're embedded in the obligations, but they're not actually written in our modern exubas. Be that as it may, Rabbi says that's a real obligation. And therefore, that means that the karbanos belong to the husband, right? And therefore, the chachamim who will dispute this, that, that's who, right, that's who Rav Chisa says um, our Mishnah is like, because our Mishnah implies that, no, the animals are really the husbands until the very end. However, Rav is going to say that our Mishnah could even be explained according to Yehuda. Rav Amar Filo Tamer Rabbi Yehuda, who says again that the Karbanas belong to the wife, Ki Yeah, that's what I would have said. I don't know, why am I agreeing with Rav so often, Barry? What's going on? Ki Agreeing is not the right word, but why is, why is he always making sense to me? Anyway, Ki Yeah, of course he has a Sheba to her. Of course he has to give her the Karbanas, but it doesn't mean that she owns the Karbanas right away as soon as she has the thought, Andrew. It just means when she needs it, he'll provide it. That's all. That's what the ksuba means. And therefore, it's really his until she absolutely needs it, right? Right? But when she doesn't yet need it, in other words, when she's not yet using it, or when he's mefer her neder, and she's no longer a nazira, and therefore has no use for it, so of course, you wouldn't say in that situation that the animals already became hers, Right? They're only going to become hers when she actually needs it. He was made for her Naziris, and therefore she doesn't need it. So why would you say that it's that, right? Rabbi says, why would you say that it's Tala and I don't know. He's making sense here to me. All right. Six lines up from the bottom of Tala and Rav. Uh, just a different version of the same discussion in a different order. Who's the must be Rabbi Huda. Now he's going in the other direction. Because Rav Chista is going to utilize Rava's logic here. Right? And, and according to Rava's logic, right, it, it could be according to Rabbi Yehuda, and therefore, but with the logic of Rava that it's only an obligation to bring the carbon, right, for the wife, for the husband to provide the carbonus for his wife, that obligation only comes in when she actually needs it, unlike our Mishnah, where she does not need it because the Naziris was undone. The Yerubanan, because if you had like Yerubanan, lo mishabed laklal. Wow. The husband has no obligation at all. In other words, he doesn't need to give her sacrifices at all. Oh, well, that's, that's like a real, a bad face on what the Shittas Yerubanan is. And then the question is, how did, how was she able to be Makdashar at all? So how is it possible that he provides her with the animals at all? He gave her the right, right? He expressly gave her the right to give her animal, to, for, to take the animals, and once he gave her the right, so then they're considered hers. Um, okay. 
and then, and then, but that's the question though. Wait a minute. Well, if he gave her the right, so then they certainly are hers. So then why does the mission say, right, what's hers and what's his? So, as we turn to Chavdal and Rebbeis, so Rava explains this too. Rava Amar, Afilu Tamer Rabbanon. You could even say, according to the Rabbanon, Ki makni nami Right, again, the same logic that you apply to what automatically becomes hers, that you could also apply it to when he's maknet. In other words, even when he gives it the, when he's maknet of the animal, he's maknet essentially like on a tznai, right, on a condition. That's what the rush explains. He's giving it as a condition, um, right, because, uh, right, he's giving it on a condition that she's going to eventually need it. The But for something that she doesn't need, he's not going to give her the right. Now again, the rush has, has to also point out that it can't be that he's maknila a specific animal, because if he's makna a specific animal to her, right, then it's actually the equivalent of a hakamas nether. That's implied in the rush over here. Right, that he can't do. In other words, if he was, did an actual hakamas nether on her nenziris, he can't do hafara on it, right? And that would not be consistent with our Mishnah. But to the extent that he tells her, you know what, I am specifically, not only am I going to provide karbonus for you when you need it, but I, I am, he's going to the extra step. I makna you the karbonus for when you need it, but he's saying it in a more general sense, the rush explains. I'm telling you in a general sense, not only will I provide it, but as, of, but I will be makna it to you and they will become yours. And that's how Rava explains it according to that Brysa. Again, what's going on here is that there is, in the Brysa, is only the Shita of Rabbi Huda, right? Rabbi Huda is like the middle Shita who says that the husband has to obligate the Korbanist to his wife through Ksuba. And we don't know, are there abundance saying that, that means that the husband does not have to obligate it or does it mean that like he's very obligated? And based on how we play off the Rabbanon, we're going to, right, that's how the discussion ensues. But be that as it may, Rava will basically explain that none of it happens necessarily right away, and therefore that is why our Mishnah can in fact say that there is such a thing as the flock belonging to the husband, even though the husband eventually gives the animals to his wife, and that is certainly one of the obligations of the Ksuba, right? When the husband supplies the, the animals, that does not necessarily mean that the animals immediately become hers, but they only become hers when she needs it. And that's why our Mishnah can say that if the flock belongs to the husband, then even, then one, even though she was makdashit, once the husband undoes her nizirus, the animals can go back to the flock. As opposed to when the, right, when the wife owns the animals, then, in fact, when she's makdashit, we're going to have to treat those animals as our Mishnah outlines. Now the, Mish- now the Gemara asks, three lines down, two dots. Let's get into this. How does she own the animals? Says the Gemara. How does she actually own the animals? Don't we say, Don't we say that whatever the woman owns, really her husband owns it? So what's, what, what, what is this? That it's her animal. Her, she doesn't own anything. Amar papa. A little bit of a discussion of what this means. Technically, the article says she ate less than what she was supposed to, right? So the husband, uh, than what uh, was allotted to her, right? The husband has a certain amount of mizono. So this could mean that she just said, you know, I work for a Fortune 500 company. I don't want any of your mizonos. Uh, basically, she's an independent woman. And that's the easiest way to understand this, that she has her own money, and therefore she has her own karbanas and her own little flock. That's, poss- that's possible. Or e bayis ema, as we mentioned before, somebody else gave her the animal on the condition that she's not going to give it to her husband, and therefore that's how our Mishnah comes to a case where she actually owns the animals. Fine, as we discussed already.
Two dots, eight lines down. Ha'ola tikra of ola v'shlam tikra. Let's get into this. Don't sit down, Barry. Until you explain this to me. What are you explaining? What are the cases where a nazir is going to be offered without bread? Wait. What? In other words, how do I know that's what it says? Because I looked in the art scroll. The art scroll says that the Gemara doesn't tell you what the question was. But from Abu's answer, we figured it out. Okay. Right? He's asking to list all the cases of the shlamim without bread. Okay? That, and uh, that's, that's the first day in the rush. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to explain the answer. From the answer, you figure out the, the question as follows. Avua says, By the way, it's a ram. The Shlamim is a ram. There are four types of rams, okay, that don't need to be accompanied with lechem when they are brought. Okay, so, again, this is all going to have to be a case of Nazir. Because after all, when you bring a carbon shlamim, it's usually, it's usually um, keto diet, right? Usually you're just eating the meat. The shlamim of the nazir is unique in that it comes with carbs, right? You're making a pseudo in that graduation. So there are four scenarios of a nazir where you're not going to have the actual graduation. How so? So shalah hada amran. Hers, that's what we said, right? The woman designated her own carbon for the Naziris, and then her husband undid the nether. So again, we're all looking for situations where it was designated initially for Naziris, and then ultimately the Naziris didn't happen, right? That's all the, be the scenarios over here. There's four scenarios. So all four scenarios will have the same theme. A Naziris was designated, and then, so technically, you would have an ayil as the shlamim. You would bring a ram, which is very awesome. And yet, you're not going to have the lechem. So the first one is our case. A woman brings it, thinking this is going to be, or a woman rather designates the animal, thinking this is going to be for my Nazir graduation ceremony. And then the husband revokes the Nazirus. And now you have this, uh, this ram that is going to be eaten without the bread, as our Mishnah delineated, explained. Right? Okay. Shalom. Ditnan. And similarly, Shalom. That we learned in the Mishnah, but not our Mishnah. The Mishnah we're going to learn in Chavches. What does the Mishnah say? Is following. This is the case where a man actually has the authority, as we will learn, to make his son a Nazir. Okay. A mother can never do that to her son. So. So now, if the son shaved his head. So what's going on here? A parent is trying to make a child a Nazir. But the child has, or the child's relatives has the ability to resist, reject that Nazirus. How do they do so? Well, no better way to reject their Nazirus than to shave your head, Barry, right? Because they're telling you you're going to grow it out. They're saying, uh, no, I'm not going to grow, out, grow it out. So whether the child himself shaved his head or the relative shaved the head, or they did a different form of protest, a verbal protest. And the point is you could either protest verbally or you could protest with your actions of shaving your head without verbal protest, but be that as it may, if you protest this, this designation of Nazirus, so now it goes into all the cases that we said already, right? What's going on here? It's the same thing. In other words, the parallel is a wife makes a Nazirus and the Nazirus is undone by her husband. So now whether, if it's money, then you have to treat it the way the Mishnah said it. If it's Carbonus, you have to treat it the way Mishnah said it. And the parallel will be if a father wants to do an Aziris on a child, and the child rejects it, so now 
if money had been set aside or kabanas had been set aside, we will treat them exactly as we did in our Mishnah. And this is what we call dafyomi gold because now we're just going to copy-paste how we're going to treat these money in kabanas as follows. Iplun and the and the money is going to all going to go, right? Again, the father here set aside the money, obviously, right? The child's rejecting the Naziris. He didn't set aside no money, but the father set aside the money. Most mifurashim. So if it's, if it's in a pile, so then it's all going to go to Nadav. That's the Chiddush we said, Allah Lamashu Bishinai earlier. If he designated, right, this is for Chatas, this is for an Ola, this is for Shlomim, then the Dmei Chatas Yochulam Melech, as our mission said, throw, you throw out the money into the corrosive Dead Sea, Dmei Ola Yavio Ola Mo'alambem, and Dmei Shlomim Yavio Shlomim, Benechalim Yomechad Veinatun Lechem. So there it is. The Dmei Ola, right, you're going to buy an Ola and bring an Ola with it. The Dmei Shlomim, you're going to bring Korban Shlomim, and it's going to have the same Allahas of Korban Shlomim as our mission of the case of the aborted. Naziris of the wife, where you have the, right, you only eat it for one day, and just like a, a Nazir, but you also don't have it, unlike a Nazir, you don't have it with bread, and therefore the second case of where you bring the ram of a Nazir without bread. Third case, Shalachar Misa. What's the case of Shalachar Misa? Minalan. So, the Tanya. Well, we learned in the Mishnah in Me'ila as follows. Right, Hamafish Mos Naziruso. Okay, regular guy sets aside funds for his Nazirus, Lo Nehenin, Velo Behem. This was already quoted that you can't, in our Mishnah, you can't, you can't, there's not going to be no Me'ila on it yet. Right? However, you can't benefit. Why? All those money can be brought for Shlamim. However, Mes, Vahayulu Mos, Stumim. Okay, so, so again, Lo Nehenin, Velo Behem. Right? Uh, because they can be brought, they're all suitable at that point. You brought a pile of money. Any of it, any of it can be brought for Shlomim, so you don't know. However, once he dies, before he gets a chance to bring those karbanos, so if Vahayulamostumim was all in a big old pile of funds that he's going to buy, but he didn't designate them yet, Yiplu Nadava, the whole thing's going to go to Nadava for, right, voluntary karbanos. However, Mosmith for Hashim, he said, this is for Chatas, this is for Olis, for Shlomim, and Demei Chatas, Yolach Lama Melech, Lo So that is what our Mishnah said. So again, this is just a case of what? It's very simple. This is another way you could designate Nazirus and not make it all the way to the Nazirus graduation carbono ceremony. How so? You die. Person dies, they don't make it. So then what do you do with all this money that's supposed to go for carbonus? So the money for the chatas has to be thrown Yom Melech, as we explained. Lodanin v'lo ma'alin, as we explained. You can't have a na, but you're not going to be subject to the violation of me'ila. Demei ola, yavi ola ma'alin behen. Demei ola, you're going to bring them ola and Right, you're gonna buy an Ola and bring it. And Demei Shlomi, Vir Shlomi, right? Even though the guy died, you can still bring the Karbanos voluntarily. And yet, in that case, Right, you're gonna eat it only for one day, as we said in all these other cases, and you won't have to bring bread. And the fourth and final case, Shlacha Kapara. What's Lacha Kapara? Svarahu. Shlacha Amisa Maitam, Dolochazila Kapara. Right, after you died, what's the reason that the Shlomi, uh, remains and you bring it without bread because it's not, you don't need it for the, uh, uh, for the kapara. Shalacha kapara nami. So here also, what happened to lacha kapara? This is a case of tamura. In other words, you, the animal got lost. That's what lacha kapara means. The animal got lost and then you substituted the shlamim and then the old animal that you uh, initially designated comes sauntering in after you already brought the shlamim. So then, halochazil kapara. It's no longer necessary for kapara, and therefore, that's what you're going to do with that animal. When it comes back, you're going to bring it, but you're not going to eat it with the bread. In other words, in that fourth and final case, you actually did have the graduation ceremony, but with a different animal. So when the other animal comes in, it's not going to be included in the ceremony because ceremony is over, but you're going to have to eat it. You have one day to eat it. You'll bring it to shlamim voluntarily. You'll, have, you'll be able to eat it, but not with, with the bread. So we'll resume tomorrow. Bezat Hashem, six lines up on the bottom on Chaftal Adam Adbez.